Ages of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside of your head. And in this fortunate turn of events, you ask me to be your We've heard a few times already this morning, today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent is a season in the church that began this past Wednesday with a cross of ashes on our foreheads and the uncomfortable reminder of our mortality in the words spoken, remember, you are dust. And yet this season is kind of a mystery, right? We're not exactly sure what it's for. We sometimes have a vague idea that we're supposed to give up stuff for some reason. What exactly are we supposed to do during Lent? How do we celebrate it? My Catholic roots in particular come out full force during this season, surprising me each year with an unexplained need to stop eating meat on Fridays and also giving me many new ways to feel guilt and shame around all the times I fall short. And then, like any good Catholic, I just sit in those horrible feelings for six whole weeks. The text for this first Sunday in Lent is the temptation of Christ, always, every single year on this first Sunday in Lent. And yet this year... As we are in the Gospel of Mark, we get kind of a different telling of this story. We get the most brief and least detailed version. In fact, we actually get three full stories in Mark's Gospel. The baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, and the first public sermon that Jesus gives. To put this sort of shortness in perspective, Matthew's Gospel takes 34 verses across two chapters to say what Mark says in the six verses we heard this morning. So why is it so short? What is Mark trying to get across to us? Why are there so few details given? It's almost uncomfortable, really, in its lack of details, isn't it? It, uh, in comparison to Mark, or into Luke and Matthew, it gives us, they give us kind of the opposite. Mark is so short. Matthew and Luke give us a lot of details, actually. They record not only the temptations that were placed in front of Jesus, but also the responses that Jesus gives to each temptation. Now, because in this story, details mean we can know things, that when we hear these temptations, we feel like we can learn something about the devil, about the wilderness, about temptation, right? And knowing these details that we get in Matthew and Luke mean we can plan. We can know what to expect. We can know how to respond when those same temptations come our way. We won't be surprised. But Mark's gospel doesn't give us any of that. And when we don't hear the specific temptations and Jesus' specific response to those temptations, it doesn't make it easy to to copy or to follow. But it also doesn't add up to our running list of things we can't live up to. Now Mark just says, he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. That's it. It's kind of hard 
to plan for that scenario, right? There's no outline, no easy response to follow, just a location and the thing that happens there. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And yet, the lack of details here feels somehow more real, more true, instead of less. Because the lack of details means we can fill it in with what we know. And we do know wilderness and temptation. All of us do. We have all experienced some version of one or both of these. Right? We know wilderness. We know the wilderness of wandering in a place that feels desolate, literally and metaphorically. We know the wilderness of grief and loss. We know the wilderness of guilt and shame. We know the wilderness of heartbreak and illness and every emotion under the sun. We know the wilderness of being in places where we feel small and insignificant and vulnerable. We know the wilderness of hopelessness as we struggle to just get through another day or when it feels like things never change. And we also know temptation. We know the temptation to believe that we aren't enough. We know the temptation to believe that God is not, in fact, with us, that God doesn't even care about us. We know the temptation of thinking God isn't real. We know the temptation to take care of ourselves and ignore those in need. We know the temptation to say we're fine when we are definitely not fine. We know the temptation, especially in this season, to be satisfied with lukewarm expressions of faith, to give up chocolate and call it repentance. See, wilderness and temptation are all of those things that I just listed, but so many more. Wilderness and temptation are actually not that vague at all because we've all experienced them in some way or another. Mark's gospel makes the temptation of Christ seem more real for its lack of details, not less. Knowing what tempted Jesus and how he responded isn't actually that helpful because we aren't Jesus. A fact of, I know you're all well aware, but it's helpful to be reminded of this on occasion, right? We won't have the same temptations of Jesus because we are not Jesus. So then, what are we to do? Are we to sit in these feelings of guilt and shame and fear that wilderness and temptation bring up? For the next six weeks? That sounds kind of awful, actually, doesn't it? And I think it's a misread of this gospel. Of the six short verses that we heard today in Mark, only one is about temptation, two are about Jesus' first preaching and teaching, and three, yes, three of the six, a full half, are about baptism, about what happens before anything else. See, Jesus begins his time in the wilderness with a blessing. He isn't given a map or a backpack or rations or a quick wilderness survival course. He is just sent into the wilderness with one thing, the knowledge that he is a beloved child of God. See, the 
Order matters here as much as the lack of details. First, we are beloved. Then, we are tempted. This promise is so true for all of us. We won't be tempted in the same ways as Jesus, but we will be tempted. We won't be sent out into the wilderness outside of Jerusalem, but we will find ourselves in the wilderness. And yet, just like Jesus, before we are tempted, we are loved. Jan Richardson, a poet we read here lately, she should be our poet in residence, honestly, for how much we read her poems, um, wrote a poem about this very day in scripture called Beloved is Where We Begin. She says, If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching sun or the fall of the night, but I can tell you that on this path there will be help. I can tell you that on this way there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name, Beloved, Beloved, Beloved. What Lent holds up in stark clarity is that we are hopeless wanderers. And this first week of Lent reminds us that in this life we wander in, it is filled with wilderness and temptation, as if that weren't perfectly clear to us already. But beloved is where we begin. Beloved is where we begin, no matter how much we wander, no matter how wild the way, no matter how much we struggle to believe, no matter how hopeless we become, beloved is where we begin. Our winter group life session just finished up, and we completed the study with a video and a talk from Father Greg Boyle, a Jesuit priest who founded Homeboy Ministries, which is a street gang outreach in Los Angeles. Now, at the start of his video that we watched together, Father Greg shared that he had just buried his 193rd young person the day before. 193. And you could actually see in the video the weight of these deaths, each one of all of these losses on his shoulders, in his eyes. You could see it. But in his conversation, Father Greg said that this man knew he was exactly what God had in mind when God made him. And that believing this was the most powerful thing there is, more powerful even than death. And all I could think when I watched that video was this phrase, Beloved is where we begin. You, Prince of Peace, are exactly who God had in mind when God made you. 
In case you need to hear it again, hear it. You are exactly who God had in mind when God created you. Beloved is where we begin. Your belovedness is true. It is real. It is not reliant in your belief on it. It is not dependent on whether or not you live into it. It is true. Your baptism was a naming, yes, but your baptism was a naming that acknowledged your pre-existing belovedness, as author Rachel Held Evans says. Your belovedness exists first. Before you do anything or learn anything or believe anything or doubt anything, beloved is where you begin. And then you are sent into the wild places where we wander and we lose hope and where temptation just waits for our arrival. And really, every place that is outside of the waters of baptism feels like wilderness. So really, our life is wilderness. This season of Lent is simply a time for us to acknowledge the moments in the wilderness where we have forgotten our pre-existing belovedness. Where we try to just return to that one foundational truth that beloved is where we begin as Jan says that is what the journey is for we will continue to wander it is in our nature as hopeless wanderers but beloved is where we begin amen you you are my first You are my last, you are my future.